ulterior. Fucking Joe Burrow, dude. I got on the show last week and I said that I'm a Bengals fan for the next few weeks. Bro, if the Bengals do the damn thing in the Super Bowl, I'm a fan for the rest of my life, no cap. Do I actually believe that they're going to win? Uh, at this stage, no, not really, but it'd be really fucking sick if they did. So, you know, that's the energy that I will keep up uh, for the next two weeks or under two weeks at this point. Um, I, I kind of feel like that Super Bowl spirit right now, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I just changed for uh, temporarily changed the iteration cat mascot thing if you guys see that on twitter and instagram and tiktok where she now has a football helmet on and yeah i just had that idea the other day and i was like what if i can do this and then i realized i can do it so fuck it i did it um yeah i, I don't really have much else planned for an intro not much has happened i know the uh day three of when we were young went on sale and subsequently sold out so if you have tickets to that thing good for you uh be safe i suppose is all i can really say because you've made up your mind that you know you're going to this thing and nothing's going to stop you so all the power to you homie uh what do we got this week so there are new singles from the likes of uh mothica vein fm uh thornhill a couple of others that we'll get into and then records from led by lanterns royal and the serpent bad sons rally v dead awake the last 10 seconds of life and valiant hearts so yeah thanks everyone enjoy this chapter Like I just alluded to, I don't think there's like really much in the in the news for the scene for me to cover. Uh, I know Bring Me the Horizon were featured in Rolling Stone UK, which is kind of a big deal and good on them, great for them. Uh, I I need new material out of those guys soon. I know that there's supposed to be something happening, but uh, yeah, you know, we'll just uh, wait and see what goes on with that. You know what I just found out the other day? Uh, as it is has a record coming out this Friday. I didn't know that. I knew the record was coming out and maybe like I had that February 4th date already implemented into my mind at some point throughout season one. And then I just subsequently forgot about it because of the amount of other shit that was like kind of piled on top of it. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing such a bad job at like knowing when things are dropping. I know like at the end of February, you got Bad Omens and Navar Levine. And then there's like Vane, uh, North Lane after that. I think, um, God, somebody else has something out in March. Oh, set it off. They, they've got something else uh, that month as well. So, yeah, there's a lot happening, a lot of really exciting, cool stuff. But I am just sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm not, bro. And I got to got to do a better job at that, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and get into singles right now. The number one ranked song in Scenic Overlook this past weekend came from Mothica. It is a single casualty. I didn't know beforehand if I had heard Mothica before, so I checked my Spotify library because very often I have music saved that I just forget about, and all I had from her was 
a rendition of Can It Fit My Heart by Bring Me The Horizon. And I say rendition instead of cover because she generally does do enough in that track to like really make it stand out and kind of make the song her own. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, Casualty is fucking outstanding, dude. Like just, uh, you know, it's kind of straightforward, very short, maybe like a two and a half minute runtime, somewhere around that frame. But within that short span, uh, Mothika is able to get across everything that she needs to for this track. It's catchy, it's infectious, uh, it kind of hits hard lyrically, instrumentally. Uh, Casualty is one of those kinds of songs that, like, you know, I've just kind of had on repeat even without thinking about it because it's kind of just become part of like my routine the last couple of days. It's just been a thing that I do. It's like, you know, I've got nothing going on right now. Let me just put on casualty, not put on music or anything like that. Just put on casualty and let me allow this track to like infiltrate my mind and be the soundtrack to whatever it is that I'm crafting at any given moment. I think, you know, with this single, Mothika tells me that, uh, you know, she is somebody that I really, really do need to be paying a great amount of attention to this year. Uh, she is supposed to have a record out sometime in 2022 is going to be called nocturnal and i don't think there are really many other details out about it right now there's no release frame there's no like artwork or anything like that to go off of um but just having that assurance that this is not the final time this year i'll be talking about mothica is really really outstanding uh side note i am kind of sick right now no it's not covid i just have really really bad allergies that flare up in the winter so actually not even winter just kind of like regularly i have like chronic allergies if you want to use that terminology uh it's whatever i'll be fine it's just kind of hard to talk right now but i'll keep it going there is a brand new single from vein fm called fear in Nonfiction." this features uh jeff rickley from thursday This serves, uh, at least like in the singles run as the follow-up to The Killing Womb that was uh, out back at the beginning of this, or I was going to say this month, it's fucking February now, holy shit. Uh, it was out back in January and it was a lead single off of This World Is Going To Ruin You, which is out on March 4th, I believe. So, um, Fear It On Fiction, I think this song, uh, it doesn't really take more chances than The Killing Womb per se, but I think it's kind of laid out a little bit more, like, spacious if you want to put it that way it's a little bit longer than the killing womb and i think with that extended runtime the band utilizes that additional time to perfection the addition of jeff rickley is so kind of like out of left field considering like i would never ever think about thursday just like a as like a random uh addition to Vane. yet hearing the finished product it just works so well and somehow jeff is able to implement his own style into what's happening with fear and nonfiction. And yeah, it's one of those pairings that like, you know, to see it on paper, it's like, okay, that probably sounds cool, but I don't really know what it sounds like. And then hearing it like with my own ears, it's fucking stellar, dude. I love everything that Vayne FM is doing right now. And you know, this record out March 4th, I am genuinely really, really excited for it. Uh, there's another single out by Thornhill called Archangel. They had Casanova out back a couple months ago. Um, I like, so I really like Casanova. I think I enjoy Archangel probably substantially more. I think this song 
it shows me a lot more of like what Thornhill is able to do. And I say that as somebody who I, I've been exposed to Thornhill in the past, but my attachment to that band, you know, is not in alignment with my attachment to a couple of others acts that I talk about regularly on the show. So I'm still getting used to Thornhill, but with Archangel, I just feel like, you know, um, from what I've heard before from Thornhill, this is where I want them to be. This is the kind of music that I think they excel out, excel at, and I want to hear more out of them like this. Um, you know, I can hear like bits of load and deft tones being implemented into this. And I guess like, you know, those influences are kind of one in the same when you think about it. So it's a really, really cool package either way. Uh, it's like dark and creepy and brooding yet there's like this beauty laced throughout archangel at the same time and it's kind of hard to explain in words and all i can really say is to go listen to archangel and see for yourself just like the fucking trip of a journey that the song takes you on new single out by the fame is called the hills This is just like the comparison that I have in my mind, or maybe not comparison, but just like a point of reference. So my favorite sports video game of all time is NBA 2K11. This sounds like something that would have been pulled straight from that soundtrack. It has like that kind of like pop rock influence going throughout it. Um, the fame I've, so I've never mentioned them on the show before. I don't believe I have. Um, I discovered them a couple of years ago off of a song called Saints of the Sinner. And that song, like... Bro, I, I still go back to that regularly, um, and it's, you know, it, it's what initially showed me that, like, there's something to the fame that makes him stand out beyond just being, like, you know, some kind of, like, pop slash indie influence act in the scene. Um, the Hills is just, like, so catchy and vibrant, and that chorus just, like, stands out of, above so many of the, of the other things I got to listen to last week. Um, yeah, this is a, an outstanding effort on the part of the fame. I really enjoy what they're doing. I like how they're able to bring me something different and something that, you know, is kind of distant from what I've been talking about so far and what I'm, I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the episode. So in that instance, I think the fame is absolutely necessary, at least for my personal taste. Greyhaven showed off the second single off of This Bright and Beautiful World out on April 15th. It is called For an Anchor. So there's a little bit of like opposing forces happening between uh, Foreign Anchor and then the lead single for This Brian Beautiful World, which was All Candy. With All Candy, like that song has like this kind of like, for lack of a better way of explaining it, sleaziness factor to it that I really, really enjoy. And then Foreign Anchor dips so heavily into like the absolute chaotic nature of Greyhaven. Uh, you know, when I was listening to a lot of Greyhaven in the past, like on Empty Black, I, I think I compared it's sonically to every time I die for the most part, uh, with foreign anchor. Yeah. There's still that every time I die influence, but the main act that jumped out to me was the Dillinger escape plan and just how like, you know, with that act, everything is like so discombobulated and all over the place while still being cohesive in some weird fashion. I really get that sense from foreign anchor. And I think gray Haven does an excellent job at relaying that kind of a sound and style to me and the rest of the audience. 
Uh, it's an outstanding song. I think it's really successful for Greyhaven. And, you know, two singles already into this bright and beautiful world. This is genuinely a, like a pillar record this year that everybody in the scene will have to check out come April 15th. Uh, let's talk about Silver Chord because I don't believe I ever, ever had before. I don't know if I heard this band before last Friday, but that's kind of besides the point. Uh, they have a new single out called Neversun. In all of the nice ways possible, this track reminds me incredibly heavily of Era, and it has like that similar uh, blend of just like you know the uh, like the progressive metal kind of heaviness nature to the track, while also being completely fucking enchanting when those cleans come in. I think Never Sun is this kind of song that is going to go under the radar. I'm looking at the the tally right now for the music video on Dreambound. It has 8,854 views as of this recording, and that's great, you know, almost at 10k. I love that for Silver Chord. I want more love for this track. I want more love for Silver Chord as an entire band uh, because they're doing a lot of really, really cool stuff. I don't really know how many people get to hear this. Um, if you're into era, like I mentioned, or like just any kind of, you know, metalcore band that dips into that progressive style from time to time, Never Sun is easily the song for you. The final single that I would be going in detail on for this chapter comes from Northlane and it is called Plenty. So I briefly mentioned this on Twitter, and I guess I can like kind of explain it again here in audio format. This was on me. I kind of fucked up by not having Plenty be part of Scenic Overlook. Scenic Overlook, if you don't know, and I have to explain it again, I, I say that like it's a bad thing. It's not a problem at all. Uh, Scenic Overlook is where I rank my 10 favorite songs of every week for the year up until I do the, the top 100 songs and top 50 records in December. Uh, so when... Um, Echo Chamber came out back in November. That was like, you know, a high scenic overlook placing song, yet Plenty is not. And I heard Plenty over and over again after posting the rankings on Monday, and I was just like, I probably fucked this up. This song is really, really, really fucking good. Um, I don't know what it was about this track that I didn't feel connected with me initially. And I say that having given it a 5 out of 5 in the, the singles reviews over social media, yet hearing it after doing so scenic overlook, it was like, it suddenly clicked in my head every little detail that makes Plenty this fucking massive track. And, you know, I can go on and on about Northlane all I want. And the same applies to Marcus Bridge and his absolutely stellar fucking vocals, dude. Marcus is that fucking vocalist. He is that goddamn dude. Uh, there's no reason to ever doubt him or Northlane as a band as long as he's fronting them. And I say that with all the respect in the world to the other members of Northlane. Everybody carries their weight in this act. They are one of the most talented bands in the world. And, uh, you know, this new record, Obsidian, out April 1st, I think is going to reaffirm their status in that upper echelon of the scene to anybody who could potentially be down in Northlane. And I don't fucking know why you'd be doing that. Have I been doing okay with a shitty voice? Do y'all fuck with what I'm doing still? Anyways, um, 
sing the other the other singles. I'm losing my train of thought. I'm really really sorry. Uh, these were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a five or a four to in the reviews on social media. Inhuman Skin by Autumn Lies Behind, Don't Break His Heart by Bulo, Hey Uh by Dropout Kings, Dead Future by End All, Plastic Heart by Fame on Fire, You Would Never by First and Forever, A World in Tears by Future Palace, Obsession by Insight, Web of Lies by Joshua Travis featuring Andy Sizik and Steven Tarano, I'm Just a Monster Underneath My Darling by Corella. Fake by Lightwave, Love is Noise by Azure, Jeepers Creepers by Nathan James featuring Lil Lotus, Consolations by No I Has Seen, Beggar by Oakheart, Memorandum by Orphan, Father Said by Redhead in Denial, Planet Zero by Shinedown, Gravity by The Disaster Era, Loved You a Little by The Main featuring Taking Back Sunday and Charlotte Sands, Giving Up on Giving In by We Struck Gold, and Passenger by Young Rising Suns. There was, once again, no single that rated below a 4, so I I genuinely did like everything that I heard last week as far as singles, and records, again, this was another really, really good week for that section of the scene, and I'm going to get into it now. Uh, So in the past weeks, I've had like 9 records, then 7 records. This week, it is... Well, it's seven again, but, uh, you know, some of these are a little bit short, so we can get through them kind of quickly, a little bit easier than it normally is. And I'm going to start with the last record that I had added to the playlist on Saturday, because I didn't know about it until Saturday. Uh, it is the EP by Raleigh V called Breathe. This was the last record that I had added to the playlist for this week. Uh, I found it on Saturday, I believe. And to give credit, this was a, I believe, a state of the scene discovery. I didn't come across Riley V on my own. I believe I saw the STS account retweet uh, this EP. And the way my mindset works right now, and the reason why I have been reviewing so many records last few weeks, you know, nine, two weeks ago, and then seven last week and today is because I don't like to ignore something if I see it. Like, if I if I see it, I feel inclined to review it, because then I'm being, like, really picky and choosy with what I... <clears throat> sorry, with what I talk about, and, you know, I, I feel like that is a disservice to the amount of time and effort that these artists are putting into their work for people in the scene, like myself, to discover. And if I have this kind of a platform right now, then I feel you know, some kind of a responsibility to share as much as I can with all of you. That was a long-winded way of me saying I like to make everybody feel like their work is valued, because it is. Um, so, Rally V, I didn't know about him before Saturday, I had never heard of him before. This EP is four songs long, and only the closing track is new. The other three had been released prior as singles, um, but that doesn't take away from the impact that this record was able to have on me the opening song can't feel which features ali reza is one of the catchiest and just like most like vibrant soulful songs i've heard in a minute um the chorus in particular has like that kind of r&b influence laced throughout it and it just like works so well for the kind of style that rally v is going for on this ep uh Honestly, Can't Feel is probably my favorite song off of here, and had I discovered it back when it dropped, like, I would have been talking about this song 
fucking months and months ago had I had the chance to. Uh, the song that follows, Bonnie and Clyde, that one has more of this alt spirit uh, all throughout it. It feels like more anthemic, more like punk rock based in its nature. And off of those two songs, Can't Feel and Bonnie and Clyde, I've already been shown more proof than I needed I needed to know that Rally V is so versatile in everything that he's able to do and the range that he's able to expand. It's genuinely like really, really impressive. Uh, Problems, that song... It's a little bit like more hip hop esque in its uh, nature and the beat to it. Uh, maybe pop if you really want to like just go in that direction uh, to give it more of like an alt feel. You can do that. Uh, and you know these three songs in and like they all sound different from each other. They, they all have their own characteristics. They all feel so unique. And I've said this before on the show. That's one of the things I really look for in records is like this unique nature to every track and something that makes them all distinguishable and gives them their own life and personality. And Rally V had no issue doing that on this EP. And then the one song in this package that I mentioned is brand new, I Always Fall For Your Type. That one, it's a little bit slow compared to what else is happening on Breathe, yet it has like just every bit of exuberance that is found on all the other three songs. Uh, lyrically, I think Rally V also shines on this track and really shows, you know, he's not just like a great, uh, you know, musician, instrumentalist, whatever you want to phrase that as, but the guy like can write some fucking lyrics, uh, no cap. Cause you don't even know, you're playing with my soul, and no I can't control the way I feel for you girl, you're so cold, I always fall for your type. Story of my goddamn life, yeah. Um, God, this EP was really, really good. I think I went like eight and a half when I reviewed it, and the reason was because like, this felt like so much like a teaser more than anything else. It's like, I hear this and I easily... I immediately and easily understand how vital Rally V can be to the scene and my fandom for this kind of music in the future. I want more material out of this guy as quickly as possible, and I'm going to enjoy Breathe, you know, the next few days and weeks and months likely, uh, but just like there's something bigger on the horizon for Rally V and I can just feel it and sense it and I know that whenever it does happen, I'm going to come on the show and praise it the same way that I'm doing right now for Breathe. Uh, let me go ahead and get into the first album for this episode, that being the self-titled release by The Last 10 Seconds of Life. This wasn't my first time hearing The Last Six Seconds of Life. I do remember a while back, maybe not a while back, but at least like around like November, December, somewhere towards the end of 2021, I did save uh, one of the singles for this record that having been the opening track, Invictus Unto Fire. And I think I, I didn't really have much retention of that track back when it uh, initially launched. And so my perception of The Last Seven Seconds of Life was that they are a deathcore band, and primarily that's true, but I would also say that with this self-titled album, there's a, a lot of, like, hardcore laced throughout it, and it's not so, like, in alignment with the kind of deathcore I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, like, uh, Shadow of Intent or, um, Enterprise Earth, uh, Fit for an Autopsy, that kind of stuff. You know, th there's some stuff happening here that I can, you know, relate to maybe like Despised Icon, um, which is another deathcore band. But again, there's also some hardcore influence there. So, you know, a little bit of a shock in terms of what I was listening to when making you through the last 10 seconds of life. Um, so this is a long record. Uh, it is 14 tracks long and I don't have the, 
the runtime immediately. I'm going to pull it up right now, though, just so I can uh, relay that information to all of you. 50 minutes, 34 seconds. So I guess when you put it that way, okay, maybe it's not so long, but that speaks to one of the gripes that I had when listening to this record is that it felt a lot longer than it actually is. I remember, you know, last season I reviewed like a uh, the Starset record Horizons, and that was like a minute 14, a minute 15. This felt longer than that, and I think some of that can be attributed to some of the songs not really being able to distinguish themselves from one another, and sometimes the, ma the material blends itself together, and I don't really know if there's a lot of uh, innovation or just like versatility happening here to make me feel like I, I'm listening to something that I'm going to be willing to return to in the future because of like that lack of, uh, you know, distinguishing characteristics, if you, uh, want to put it that way. Uh, I ramble a lot. I'm really, really sorry. I'm trying to, uh, get across my feelings as accurately as I can. Um, so like, for example, that opening song, Invictus Under Fire, I do like it, but hearing that, if I didn't intend to review this record immediately, I don't know if that song necessarily would have persuaded me. Uh, that does change when you get into, you know, the second song. Uh, Zapfi isn't invited to the party. I love that name, by the way. It really, really takes me back to when bands would just give their songs like these really, really ridiculous sounding names, but I really fucked with that for whatever reason. Uh, Zapfi, I feel like that speaks more to the strengths of The Last Second Seconds of Life than Invictus did. And maybe one of the reasons for that is because of the song's short runtime. It's 2 minutes, 20 seconds. I feel like that is the perfect track length for a band like Last 10 Seconds of Life to kind of just like get in there, you know, get everything across that they need to and then get out. I think that works best for them. And, you know, it's a little bit detrimental to their overall sound and act when you expand on that runtime for a song like Vampire, A Blood Ballad, which is 6 minutes, 16 seconds. And the thing about that song, too, is like... It's really, like, starkly different from everything else, and not in a way that, like, uh, so I've spoken before about records and how, like, when bands take chances, most of the time, those songs are the ones that really, really speak to me, so I'll, this isn't a good example, or a comparison, rather, because they're not in the same genre, but I'll use it anyways, um, that, uh, that Deadlights record from last year, I think it was called The Uncanny Valley, the closing song, um, God, why can't I remember now? I'm really, really blanking on all this shit. Frozen Over. Um, that song is very different from the rest of the material there. It's not as heavy. It's a little bit more melodic and, uh, like spacious in its, uh, landscape. Yet, I really, really, really fucking love that song. It was one of my favorite 100 songs for last season. Go listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Um, and so with Vampire, I admire the chance that was taken, I just don't really think it was fulfilled the way that it could have been. And not to the same extent, but to some extent at least, uh, the same thing applies to the song after Vampire, that being Glory Be to Misery. There's still some sections in there that feel like maybe they're slowed down just for the sake of being slowed down, so the whole record itself is not just like one constant heavy loop. Um, ultimately, I feel like I might have preferred if it was just like heavy all the way through, which is kind of antithetical to what I like in heavy music and metalcore and deathcore and all that stuff. I like it when bands can kind of slow things down, but maybe in the case of the last 10 seconds of life, some of it, you know, didn't really hit the way that I would have expected it to because I do like the majority of what I'm hearing on this record. Um, uh, even if again, some of it does feel kind of the same in comparison to one another. Like I really enjoy the Sabbath and birth of the butcher. 
I would have to go back and hear, and I did before I reviewed this, but I would have had to go back and hear those songs again to really tell you which one was which, which one had certain characteristics in them. Um, but I can tell all of you one area of this record where the band did take a chance, and I think it paid off immensely well. That being the closing song, Procession, it's just slightly under three minutes, and it's entirely instrumental, but it feels like so emotional, and like, just this like really... Uh, emphatic atmospheric piece of work that has like violin implemented into it and i felt like you know that was like such a uh such a such a perfect way to close this record and it really let it end on a high note when had it just ended on like a regular song maybe i wouldn't have felt so um rewarded with the outro the way that i did with procession and ultimately i gave this record a 7 out of 10 that does make it from what I remember, at least, the lowest rated record of the year so far. And that's not me saying it's bad in any way. I think it's good. I think there were, you know, some bits left to be desired coming out of it. But if this kind of uh, deathcore slash, like, you know, hardcore influence uh, release is what you're after, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to latch on to The Last 90 Seconds of Life. I enjoy what they did. I look forward to hearing more from them in the future, even if this record, you know, ultimately could be forgotten on my end, aside from songs, like I said before, like uh, Zap Fee is, isn't invited to the party or Procession. There were a lot of cool things happening on this record, and then some things that, you know, I won't remember, but I do not regret the time I got to spend with The Last 10 Seconds of Life. Uh, so I think what I'm going to do now is just alternate between albums and EPs for the rest of this review. Uh, so now I'm going to look at Semantics by Dead Awake. I really, really quite enjoy Dead Awake. I think they're one of the more overlooked and underrated bands in the scene right now. Hopefully that changes in the future, uh, you know, with more releases and just like more exposure for themselves. Uh, but as it stands right now, I, I enjoy everything that they're doing. They had a record out back in either August or September of last year, Melancholia, which I thought was a perfect album and really only just missed the top 50 records of 2021. Um, I, there was, there, were, there was a lot happening there on that record that I felt like, you know, uh, even if maybe if you pick apart like the molecular uh, like status of all those songs, maybe there's not so much happening there that is different from other bands in metalcore and deathcore, yet the way that Dead Awake executed that sound, it made it sound to me like there was no one else doing this shit the way that they are, and... To an extent, the same thing is happening with semantics. So there are five songs here, but really four because Catalyst is just like an intro song. It's a really, really good intro song. I don't know why I phrase it as like just an intro. Um, and then that goes into Expend Expendable, which, uh, you know, has like that kind of like, uh, like general core sound that I've come to expect out of Dead Awake to the highest proportions possible now. Yet with Expendable, like, there's also a, a little bit of a, like, I can hear some sworn in with this song, specifically off of that last record of theirs, All Smiles. Like, that kind of a, like, gross, uh, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, uh, like, uh, melodic sections that feel just, like, so, um, like, apocalyptic in a way. I know that might not be the best way to explain it, but that's just kind of what was coming to my head when I was listening to Expendable. 
Um, I can hear a little bit of that same stuff on Know It All. I really, really enjoy how that song kind of just like stays heavy all the way through. And then like for a moment, it slows itself down and builds up that outro, which is like just so perfect for the nature and the tone set by Dead Awake for Semantics. The song thereafter, which is called Apologies, that one has like this clean section. It's very short and brief, but a clean section nonetheless implemented into it. And it was exceptional, I thought. Apologies does a lot to remind me more of like two, like the 2000s side of like post-hardcore and metalcore than it does anything from contemporary metalcore or deathcore. I really enjoy that for Apologies. I thought this is one of the like the shining achievements off of Semantics. And then from there, the closing track, which is also the title track, has one of like the filthiest fucking breakdowns I've heard all year so far for the outro. And it closes semantics on a perfect note. I ended up giving this, I think, a nine or a nine and a half. I'm going to check real quick. Um, uh, cause I don't remember off the top of my head what I give stuff. So it was a nine. And the reason for that was because in comparison to Melancholia, which was a 10 out of 10 record in my opinion, I, think I prefer Melancholia, but like if you give me a record, like a full length project with the kind of sound found here on Semantics, like that is an easy fucking choice for me to put in the upper upper echelon of albums I've listened to so far this year. Uh, Semantics is already in that category for EPs, but like, you know, give me a, a full length album, like I said, and I'm not going to shut the fuck up about Dead Awake. I feel like this is one of those bands that it's really only a matter of like time before more people hear about them and know about them and come to love their material the way that I do. Dead Awake is for sure one of the bands that people need to be paying attention to. So now I'm going to get into what has the potential to be one of the more surprising releases of the year for myself personally, that being Apocalypse Whenever by Bad Sons. I said bad sons right now. I kind of had to stop myself from saying bad omens. Uh, one more month, not even a month, just a couple weeks, really, because February is like a really, really short month for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about bad sons. Uh, the fuck was this? Because I felt like I came into this record having a certain perception of what it was going to sound like through some of the singles I remember listening to. Like the record cycle for this goes back to probably like last April, May, somewhere around there. Uh, Heaven is a Place in My Head was the song that I heard first, and I do, re I do remember reviewing it, and I do remember liking it, but before listening to this record last week, I didn't remember a ton about that song specifically, and the same kind of applied to some of the other tracks here, like When the World Was Mine and Wishing Fountains. Um, Life Was Easier When I Only Cared About Me, I feel like that one, I do have, like, more of this clear recollection of what it sounded like, but that's because I heard it, you know, pretty recently. It came out back in... Uh, I think like January 11th might have been the release for that, and I really enjoyed the pop flair found with that song. Uh, it reminded me of, I don't know if anybody would remember this band or have heard of them in the first place, uh, Walk the Moon. They had a song out like in 2014, 2015. It was called uh, Shut Up and Dance. I believe that's the name, the name of it. I saw them open for Panic at the Disco. That's why I kind of remember them more clearly than other people would. Um, but, it, you know, it has like that same energy all throughout it, and I really, really like that. Ultimately, this record shows off a lot of that pop sensibility I just mentioned, but also it's like very grounded in indie rock and 
it, it's done in a way that like, you know, I can hear like some uh, Interpol or like Silver Sun pickups. Uh, I'm trying to think of like more contemporary examples of indie rock, but I'm really not so well versed in the genre. And it, it's rare that I actually do get to review that kind of a, of a, like a sound when it comes to ulterior. Um, Bad Sons kind of just like entered that stratosphere because they're signed to Epitaph. Um, but I'm really, really glad that this was the case. So like the opening song, Apocalypse Whenever, I really, really fuck with that chorus and like just how like how, uh, the vocal performance is like kind of dull and lazy in comparison to the instrumentation backing it. Yet, like I couldn't have imagined the execution being done any differently. And lyrically, Apocalypse Whenever is like really, really getting across this like really heartfelt story. Life tried to make me somebody I'm not. Can't separate from me. I'm all I've got. Life's not been plenty, but I'm still not ready to die. I've never felt so alive. And to contrast what I said about the vocals sounding like a little bit dull on purpose with Apocalypse Whenever, go into the song that follows Summer Lightning, and on the second verse, you can hear the, the vocal performance and dynamic really, really pick up and match the, the sonic tone of the instrumentation, and I think that shows off the capabilities of Bad Sons and how they're kind of able to, you know, build whatever kind of a sound it is that they want to around Crystal Bowman's voice. Like, when I'm hearing Apocalypse Whenever... There are two specific types of settings that come to mind. Uh, one of them can be current, the other is kind of dated, I think. Uh, so this is a summer record, in my opinion. I know it's fucking February now, but this is a summer record. This is probably going to get a lot of play for me in the summer. Um, at the same time, I can take myself back 10 years ago. I'm going to completely date myself, but take myself back 10 years ago when I was a junior in high school. And, you know, you walk into, like, uh, Arab Hostel or Abercrombie, like, this is the kind of music that's playing over the speakers, and I fuck with that, dude. I really, really like that. I actually just went to Hollister the other day for the first time in years, and, like, man, everything there was way more expensive than I remembered. What the fuck? Um, I had mentioned earlier that When the World Was Mine and Wishing Fountains had previously been released as singles, um, but that I also didn't really remember them too well. Honestly, I don't really know what the fuck I was on when I said, like, I don't remember much about When the World Was Mine, because I heard it back as part of Apocalypse Whenever, and this song fucks. It feels, like, so infectious and, like, groove-inspired, and I really, really enjoy that. Um, and then even the song following it was also single, Wishing Fountains. That one is, like, really, really scaled back and slow, at least in comparison to the rest of, ma of the material on this record. And there was an opening, I think, for Wishing Fountains to kind of fail, and it definitely is my least favorite song from the record, yet I still admire what it was able to accomplish, and I really do enjoy having that kind of a break after When the World Was Mine to set separate, you know, that portion of the record from what follows, and Wishing Fountains acts as, like, a good break, I think. Um... And then Electric Circus, this is a brand new song, it was not a single. This one has like a, a little bit of like a, like that Churches flair throughout it. Churches, I reviewed their album from last year, um, Screen Violence, and I really, really liked it. It was made, it made the top 50. Um, so I can sense like that kind of influence, potential influence here with Electric Circus. And I, I think when Bad Sons is like, you know, going into this direction, they're genuinely unstoppable. They sound so fucking good and well-rounded. Something that I should point out, at least like when it came to my listening experience with Apocalypse Whenever, is that in some instances, it does feel longer than it actually is. It's about 50 minutes, but you know, it, it kind of felt like I was like, have I been hearing this for like an hour or like an hour five maybe at this point? Um, but I don't really say that as a bad thing because I think there is enough substance here to warrant, you know, the record feeling like it kind of, uh, you know, extends, uh, its runtime at certain moments. Um, one of the songs on here is Silently Screaming. It comes in like third to last, I believe. 
um that song it really like kind of shows more of that um like really upbeat pop nature to what's happening with bad sons and i think that's another area where they completely excel in um grace i think i'm in love again that one was just like so like adorable and cute in a lot of ways while also being kind of like like a mirror or microscopic mirror into my own life and i was just like Man, these are not the kind of songs I need to be hearing right now, given my headspace. Make my heart beat in the backseat of your car. I think I'm in love again. Make my heart beat in the dark will fall apart. I think I'm in love again. And then from there, you go into the closing song, Symphony of Lights. And, you know, I've made some comparisons before with this record. I mentioned Churches. I mentioned Interpol. Symphony of Lights. Man, this kind of ventures into, like, Imagine Dragons territory in some ways, and Imagine Dragons can fuck right off, but uh, Bad Sons took this sound and executed it really, really well, in my opinion. Um, and overall, like I said, I was coming out of Apocalypse Whenever thinking, like, you know, this was really, really shocking because I did not expect to like this record nearly as much as I did. Um, and that's kind of on me for not remembering most of these singles and just how good they actually sound. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I think the reason I did was because I feel like there's still room for this record to either grow or diminish. Maybe I don't feel as strongly in favor of this record in a month. Maybe I feel stronger. I don't really know what, you know, the long-term result of this record will be for me personally, but I know at least in this moment right now, I can tell all of you that Bad Sons showed the fuck up on Apocalypse Whenever. Brand new EP out by Royal and the Serpent called If I Died Would Anyone Care? I felt that. Um, <laughs> uh, Royal and the Serpent. I've mentioned her a couple times on this show before. She had her EP back out last summer. I believe it was called Searching for Nirvana. And I really enjoyed it. And it was what kind of introduced me to her. Most recently, she was featured on the Stan Atlantic song Pity Party, which is one of my favorite songs of the year so far. Uh, I thought Royal, like she sounded incredible on that song more so than she had with her prior material. Um, and with this EP... I feel like we're getting more glimpses of like who she really is, what she can really do, and what she excels at more than anything else. Uh, there were two singles supporting this EP, those being Fuckboy Rejects and I'm Not Sorry. Fuckboy Rejects, that one has like this really bouncy chorus that like, you know, sometimes it feels like there's not really much happening behind her voice, yet there doesn't really need to be. I think Royal and Serpent is able to carry a track immaculately well. And Fuckboy Rejects, again, like it has a kind of a chorus that really shows off that uh, like caliber to her performances. Uh, and then I'm Not Sorry has like hints of like 90s grunge i would say it just sounds like so atmospheric and slow in that sense and i so if you if you if you tell me all those details without me having heard the song already i wouldn't have really know what it sounded like but coming out of i'm not sorry like it's it, it sounded so natural like uh it, it came so naturally to royal and serpent so i'm trying to say Personally, I would say that the song That Sucks is the crowning achievement of this EP. Uh, 2 minutes 11 seconds. It just like gets in, gets out right away, yet it does so like leaving its mark on the EP material in my opinion. Uh, lyrically, That Sucks is another one of those songs that I listen to it and I'm just like, man... I, I I forgot what song I raised this about, but it's like, I don't need this shit, dude. I think it was something off the Raleigh V EP. I don't need this shit, dog. Like, I don't need somebody to like be like infiltrating my brain and speaking these lyrics back to me and making me review this shit. 
Uh, so just to take an exit from that sucks. You got a hold on me. It makes me want to fucking leap. I've never been so weak. I've never felt so incomplete. While you're in love with someone else, I'll fall in love with myself. While you're in love with someone else, I'll fall in love with myself. You got me fucked up. This is just my shit luck. You don't want me. That sucks. You don't want me. That sucks. That sucks. Hey, guess what? That fucking sucks. But you know what doesn't suck is the fucking song That Sucks. That shit is fucking dope as hell, dude. Um, there's like a real emphasis on like both pop punk, but also just pop in general when it comes to this EP. Uh, so like the song, I don't even like you, that one is like so integrated into the pop punk revival scene that's happening right now. Alt Bitch Poser is a song that feels more uh, like uh, emblematic of like this giant atmospheric pop sound. And I think no matter which venture it is that Royal and Serpent is going into, like everything that she's done on this EP, it just works. And it feels like we're seeing the natural progression of her and we're seeing her, you know, project by project, song by song, feature by feature, evolve into this standout artist in the scene. And similarly, similarly to what I said about Bad Sons, I did give this EP a 9 out of 10 because I don't really know the staying power yet. But just coming out of last week and last few days I've been able to spend with If I Died Would Anyone Care, I feel like I'm only going to learn to love this EP even more than I already do in the future. Two records left, and right now I'm going to get into the one that was my most anticipated last week, that being Paralysis by Led by Lanterns. There were more than a couple of singles supporting this record, a, a lot that I didn't even know about. I didn't hear about Led by Lanterns until towards the end of 2021, I believe. Um, so I missed out on so much of the paralysis cycle that I wish I had been attentive to because a lot of the, of the material here just like really, really speaks to what it is I look for in like alt rock acts nowadays. Uh, the point in the, the album cycle where I really, really became like aware of the caliber of Led by Lanterns came when they dropped six feet down back at either the start of January or it was at some point in December. I think it was at the start of January though. Um, so six feet down, it feels like just so like powerful all throughout the verses and then that chorus comes in and it's just so catchy and it, it infectious and it feels like so like inherent and cohesive to again what it is about alt rock that i really really turn to and look for so you know there are bands out there that are doing this kind of a sound really really well i'm gonna point out like our last night and fame on fire as two of them that i enjoy um but led by lanterns there's just something to their execution of this concept that puts them on a pedestal compared to other acts around them and to me, like, that is made immediately apparent when you hear the opening song, Alive, which features Toby Duncan from, uh, Trash Boat. And the way that that song kind of has, like, this, like, kind of a little bit of a slow build initially, and then the verses feel so well-paced, and then you get into the chorus, and again, just, like, so explosive and energetic, and it just kind of feels like maybe with, like, you know, um, slightly better production and mixing, this, like, sounds like something that could have been, like, just made for radio. And I say slightly better producing and mixing with, like, no gripes or whatever about how the song really sounds. I think the production and the mixing is great. Uh, maybe for some people there is going to be a disconnect, but but I think it still is able to sound so emphatic and giant and arena ready.
And then from there, it's just like chorus after chorus after chorus of this band showing off their abilities and their talent and their range. I think like when I heard uh, the song Down, it's spelled D-X-W-N, third track on the record. That was where it kind of hit me like, okay, there's something happening here that reminds me of Light Up the Sky, which is the band that eventually turned into Paloma, if any of you know who I'm talking about. Um like not necessarily like uh has like that same kind of like a post-hardcore sound to it but just like that ability to write these courses that are like just so catchy and get stuck in your head and like you want that um like that kind of emotion drawn out of you when you hear songs like this uh later on in the record you get to the song catacombs that was where you know everything starts to like really really make sense and it was like this is exactly who I think Led by Lanterns are. This is the exact kind of sound that they should be chasing. This is what they sound like when they're at their fucking best. Because Catacombs does everything that I've said about alt-rock, where, you know, it's catchy, it's powerful. Everything about Catacombs speaks so directly to what it is I'm after from this sector of the scene, and I could not be any more happy with what Led by Lanterns did with this record. The song that comes directly after Catacombs, that being Satellite, maybe it's just like the layout of the song, the structure of it, but there's something about it that really, really reminds me of Sleepless in Phoenix by Bless the Fall, which is one of my favorite tracks off of Hard Feelings. I miss Bless the Fall so much, dude. I really, really fucking miss them. Uh, I have Led by Lanterns, though, and that's really, really cool. Um, and, and like, even with the closing song, uh, which features, or it's called Good Enough, and it features Mercedes Arnhorn from Courage My Love and Soft Cult, and how, like, um, you know, that song, it plays to the strengths of Mercedes, and while also playing to the strengths of Love by Lanterns overall, and I think that makes for this really, really well-executed closer. I had, like, the highest of hopes coming into this record. Just off of Six Feet Down, that was the only reason that I felt so strongly in favor of Paralysis before having even heard of the material, and then making my way through the record, I became to- I- I- got to understand more and more how and why Led by Lanterns feel like one of the most exciting young bands in the world right now. Um, like, they just need, like, you know, that extra push into people's mindsets. They just need, you know, more of the right projects, more of the right eyes and ears paying attention to them. I say younger bands, they've been around since, like, 2016, but there's probably a reason why they feel kind of underground still, and if there's anything that I can do to help them not be so hidden, like, I really, really want to do that. So, you know, I implore all of you, please go listen to Paralysis. I think this is an incredible record. I enjoyed every second I got to spend with it, and I really, really think a lot of you will as well. Final record of this episode, Yonder by Valiant Hearts. So my experience listening to Yonder, uh, it was one of those like, I'm kind of fucking stupid moments. Uh, I have a lot of those, but this one in particular was like really, really fucking bad. So I'm hearing this record and the thing, the thing that comes to mind is, hey, this sounds a lot like Galleons. And more than just having the song or the songs on here sound like Galleons, the vocalist sounds like Tom Byrne who is the vocalist of Galleons. So halfway through Yonder, I decided to check like, hey, who is even in Valiant Hearts? Oh, it literally is Tom Byrne. It literally is the vocalist of Galleons. That is why this reminds me so much of Galleons and in all the right ways. And 
in, in some aspects, I would say Valiant Hearts speak more to me than Galleons did. And I really, really like Galleons. I gave their self-title record last year a spot in the top 50 for 2021. Yonder has every chance to make this year's top 50. I'm saying that right now. Yonder just like kind of came out of nowhere and completely just like fucking pie-faced me in the goddamn face, dude. Uh, similarly to Led by Lanterns, this was another case of me not having heard all of the singles rolled out prior. I did listen to Vertigo, and I think with that song, it gave me like a good sense of who Valiant Hearts were, but it didn't give me the clear picture of what was going to be happening with Yonder. That had to be achieved on my end by listening to the opening song, Elysium, and how immediately like I'm put into this mindset of like, okay, like, yeah, there is a lot of galleons going on here, but also I can sense a lot of like what Dance Give a Dance did on downtown Battle Mountain. And like, just, you know, speaking, you know, truthfully, downtown Battle Mountain is one of my favorite records of all time. So to have this piece of work yonder that, you know, kind of, you know, parlays into this nostalgic element that I like, but then also feels so contemporary to post hardcore, it made for this immediate, uh, impact on me and this effect that I wasn't able to shake off for the rest of the record and I didn't want to shake it off. The other thing that Elysium does is it begins this stretch of songs that is one of the most stacked and powerful stretches I can recall recently from any record I've been able to listen to. Daedalus immediately begins with like one of the best clean sections on this entire record and really shows off Tom's incredible range and ability that I think was apparent to me from hearing Galleons. And then Banshee, which features uh, Yash, who is in the band, uh, let me pull the name real quick because I forgot it, Survive Said the Prophet. He also recently did uh, a song for the Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, just another great instance of where valiant hearts are able to kind of like you know branch outside of what it is that they're doing bring in somebody else and just make this incredible song that you know again speaks so much to the nostalgic element that is within me when it comes to this caliber of post-hardcore um elevated being wind waker Florazin, just more instances of this band immediately understanding what it is that they're good at what makes them so strong and powerful and how to capitalize on that sound and get across to the audience just how fucking good they really really are and like while i'm praising the work of tom Byrne, i also just have to like mention the instrumentation that is happening with valiant hearts and just like how fucking phenomenal um igor several I'm gonna fuck this up, dude. I apologize. Uh, Igor Serovasha. I, 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 there's no way I said that correctly, and I'm really, really sorry, dude, but you're a fucking beast. You're a genius when it comes to crafting instrumentation. Um, everything about Valiant Hearts, vocals, instrumentation, the atmosphere they set, the, the tone, the pacing, everything about Yonder, and I, I know I'm raising my voice now, but it's like, I feel so intensely passionate about this record, I didn't know I was going to, and then I came out of it believing like, this isn't just the best record I heard last week, this is one of the best records I've heard all year so far, one of the best records I've heard in recent memory, last couple months at least, like, Yonder just fucking did that, dude, everything about this record, again, speaks so heavily to what it is I love about post-hardcore and what I love about the scene, as an entire entity. And I, I really do hope like I was able to get that across when giving this record a 10 out of 10 last week on social media. And the reason that this was a 10 and then like, you know, records maybe like uh, uh, Led by Lanterns and then Bad Sons were not 10s is because like I, 
I said, I don't know where I'm going to stand in those records in the next few weeks or months. Yonder, there's no fucking way that I ever, you know, feel any less about this record than I do right now. Yonder is perfect. Valiant Hearts is a perfect band. I am so thankful to have been able to discover them recently. And again, even more thankful to have been able to hear Yonder and come on the show and express the praises that I am to all of you because I really, really believe this is one of the best records I've been able to listen to in the entirety of the time that I've been doing Ulterior. And... That's it. That was every uh, song, single, EP, album I had to review from last week. Um, this one, this one wasn't as bad as the past two weeks. The past two weeks were really, really hard on my voice. This one, I feel okay. I feel fine. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and take this uh, opening to do uh, two things. The first is plug my TikTok because I had a uh, a video recently where I, I share ten of my most anticipated records of the year. And for some reason, it's doing numbers now. Like, it's actually, like, doing really, really well. I wasn't expecting it to. Um, but yeah, go check that out. Go check out some of the other TikToks that I've made. I will have more content coming out soon. Um, the second thing, and this is, like, a really, really somber note to end the episode on, but I only just found out about this while I was recording. So, uh, and it also kind of, like, segues from what I mentioned about TikTok. So, uh, there was a TikTok user in the scene by the name of Brandon Brutal. Um, I saw some of his videos a few times. I thought you know, like he was entertaining. I really enjoyed his stuff from the time that I g- did get to see him. Um, so while recording this episode, I found out that he actually passed away. And um, this is out there, so I'm going to say this now. I guess uh, trigger warning. So uh, he committed suicide, and it was due to the bullying that he was receiving on TikTok for literally just being himself, for just dressing the way he wanted to, for looking the way that he chose to. And you know, that shit's really, really not cool. It's fucked up. Like, just, you know, let, let's be fucking respectful to people, okay? Let let us just, you know, let people do what they're going to do. Let them be the way that they want to be. Express what they want to. Listen to the kind of music they want to. Dress the way that they want to. Don't be so fucking, like, um, just a piece of shit about this kind of stuff that has no effect on your life whatsoever. You know, someone's life is now taken because of the careless actions of others, and that's just not okay. We need to do fucking better, and it shouldn't take something like this for me to have to emphasize that point. And again, I do apologize for ending this note on that, ending this episode on that kind of a note, but I really felt the need to express all that. So. I don't think I could hear that. That was one of my cats. Uh, his name is Armin. What he does is he'll just like stand in my door and uh, meow while I talk if you can hear me because I'm not out there giving him attention. So I'm going to go do that now. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.